everybody. How are you doing? This is the S. Anthony Thomas. This is the S. Anthony Thomas Show. And in this episode, I speak with Kevin Connor, host of the podcast, What the Fuck is Wrong with You People? And we talk about the comedy of George Carlin, Dave Chappelle. We talk about cancel culture. And we even make a turn into politics and talk about some laws that need to be changed because they can permanently ruin people's lives. You will love it. I know you will love it because I was there and I loved it. So... Are you ready? Of course you are. Let's do it. For those of you listening, uh, this is a, this is Kevin and Connor and me. We're doing it uh, one more time. We had a bad connection the first time, so we're restarting the podcast. Technically, for you people listening, this is the first time you're hearing it. For us, this is the second time. <laughs> we're, we're doing the the podcast so uh so we're gonna do this again we're gonna do this again now folks this is number one for you and number two for us okay you, right. you know what I, I have a little bit of a problem being called number two <laughs> just you're just gonna have to deal with it buddy <laughs> it just gonna you know what? this is actually perfect this is actually perfect because i i'm sure you've listened to like a couple of my podcasts where i have said on the podcast this is the fourth time i've recorded you guys didn't hear the other three times <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it, it, it's it's really for, for, for those of you listening uh wherever you're listening uh it, it's it's it, one of the things that people don't know behind the scenes is a lot of times, if you don't do, it, do do these podcasts live, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes uh, on the technical side. And some, it's, like when, it's like when you hear somebody, uh, like when you hear your favorite artist sing a song. By the time we as the customers or the, or the, or the fans hear the song, that person has sang that song about 5,000 times. And there you go with that. Now I'm going to ask you, Kevin. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin. What made you start doing podcasts? You did, because I was jealous of you. Because you're so awesome. I mean, I, I don't. Well, I, well let, let's be honest. Everyone is, but that's a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. I mean, uh, it, a lot of it was you, because you know, I, I liked your podcast, and I thought, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while, and uh, when I asked you a question about podcasts, you actually answered. That's why I call you my podcast buddy. You're the only person of all the people that have done podcasts that have that actually gave me any sort of assistance, that gave me any sort of positivity. And so it really is because of you. And other people I would ask, I didn't say this last time, so maybe it's good we're doing it twice. Uh, twice. Other people I'd ask for help, they, they basically like, what, you want to take my viewers? type of bullshit coming from them and i like wow you know what fuck you <laughs> you know what i mean well by the way by the way just so everybody knows once again kevin or not once again because they're hearing this for the first time yeah. tell everybody the name of your podcast all right it's what the fuck is wrong with you people as in the i'm going to shorten it this time as in uh you know, it, I named it because, you know, I grew up, you know, my dad, whenever my sister and I would, would do something screwed up, my, and dad would get really pissed off. He'd say, what the fuck's wrong with you people? Don't you know how to do this, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I grew up with the idea of you people being like a collective group of people who have done something stupid, right? 
And so that's that's where my perception came from. Although I later found out, apparently uh, down south, it's it's a you know it's like targeting minorities when they say you people. But no, I mean I'm targeting all of humanity because you know fuck humanity. Uh, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know the other reason and, and is that um, I I wanted to just kind of scream. And I know that I'm not really promoting my podcast, which is fine. So I'm kind of like screaming at the wind, almost like a scream therapy. And when I see something stupid on Twitter, instead of writing a huge Twitter feed thing about what I'm so pissed off with, which really turns people off big time or gets me some stalkers. um, Instead, I would like, you know, I thought, well, I'll, I'll just scream into the podcast, right? If I don't like it, I'm going to delete it, which I've done several times. Um, but, uh, you know, something to, to get my mind off of it. If I actually think something is important, no matter how many times I've deleted it, I will eventually get it out there. And since some of these topics are going to be incendiary, I thought, well, I might as well title my podcast and something incendiary to begin with. So people, when they listen to it, you know, they'll, they won't be shocked. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything else. It's like um, it's like when you see a comic that is famous, like George Carlin. You know, um, you pretty much know when you went to see him after the seventies or by the mid seventies. Exa- you, you don't you didn't know what he was going to say because that's not because you're not supposed to know what he's going to say. But you knew that when you went to see George Carlin, he was not going to pull any punches. So yeah. if you got if you went to a George Carlin concert and you were offended after 1975. That's your fault. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you the same thing with Andrew Dice. You Dice's knew exactly him. <laughs> yeah, or, or or Dave Chappelle. It's like yeah. it's like you you it's like Dave Chappelle. You know exactly. You don't know what he's going to say, but you know if you're going in there looking for Jay Leno, then you know, come on. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> That's not. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just got to say, I've watched some of his stand-up where he's supposedly offended swaths of people across the land and i maybe something's fucked in my brain maybe there's a what's the wrong you know what's wrong with me kevin but i can't Mm -hmm. find anything offensive in anything that he said mostly because a lot of what he says comes from his perspective which means okay that's what he thinks and well if i don't agree with it i don't fucking agree with it you know but Mm -hmm. there's I even looked for that supposed transphobic comment that he made. I mean, and he he said it, and he, he told this whole story. In fact, it's on his recent Netflix special about mm-hmm. uh, he went to discussion with a with a trans woman, and apparently the only people that really went after him, the vast or not the only, but the vast majority weren't trans. And he got, has all these letters from these trans people that are saying, oh, yeah, that that's kind of, that, you know, you actually understand some of what we're going through. You put comedy to it. And it, it just, I don't know. I, I don't know and I don't understand how some people can't, you know, can't, can't view him without trying to drive, you know, drum up some controversy. Of course, you know, people have been it's, trying it's to... An it's an interesting thing because, you know, when you when you push the envelope, 
you're always, I mean, it's just like anything else. When, you, when you're pushing, if you push the envelope, part of pushing the envelope is realizing that every once in a while, you're going to, you're going to, it's like a, like a line. It's like when you push the line or you push the envelope, you're going to go over it. You're literally yeah. going to go over it. You're going to offend someone. And you would hope that you're not hurting someone's feet. You're not hurting someone. I'm not necessarily hurting someone's feeling, but making them feel like crap. Because I know that there'll be, there'll be times when somebody will say things that I guess, uh, like you said, I don't agree with, or maybe it hits me. But yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I'm a bad example. I've been in comics since like 86. So it's like, it's like super hard to offend me or shock me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't necessarily know if I'm the best at this kind of thing. Cause I've heard everything. And I also know what it's like to be around comics when they're not being recorded and when they're not performing. And I know that what you normally see, even in a special like that, is like one-tenth of a uh, level of offensive as they would be when you're sitting around the table with them. So, you know, I, I you, know, been, you know, so it's like, you know, but he's closer to, to actual conversations that people have, have uh, said that I've heard. Yeah. You know, um, as far as uh, that specialist concerned, I see where if you're sensitive, if, if, the, if the bit hits you specifically, I can see why a person That's would true. get upset. But I know in a similar situation when things hit me like that, and I'm a bad example. Like I said, I've been in the comics since I was 17 years old. I just, you know, I go, well, you know, I, if somebody hits me with something, I usually go, huh, I didn't like that too much. Next, and then I move on about my business because I don't really personally give a crap. But uh, I can see, you know, it is when you're when you're part of a, some kind of marginalized group, and you're you're just coming into your own, and you're just becoming, you know, people are just starting to accept you. You're you're, you're hypersensitive because a lot of the times when somebody takes a shot at you, it's not somebody pointing out something to make a point. It's not a comic. It's somebody who's intentionally pushing you down or intentionally trying to hurt you. And um, as a black dude. You know, I know what it's like to be places where people, you know, are, you know, intentionally trying to do or trying to hold back and you become sensitive to that. But personally, I'm used, I, I have gotten to the point now where I can look at things as an observer, even if they're coming towards me and try to figure out the motivation and try to figure out what I need to do, which I to figure out where the person is coming from. But it, it, it but I'm, I, when I saw the bit, I'm like, oh, he's going to get killed online is what I, is what I, is when I, yeah. When I saw it, that's the first thing I thought was they're gonna. I said he's gonna get hammered. He's gonna be getting hammered online four minutes after this comes out. And of course, it was four minutes after it came out. Dave Chappelle stinks, man. F him, bro. He sucks. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, yeah. You no, you're right. You're right. And um, you know, I think maybe my problem uh, is that mm-hmm. I grew up loving uh, the clean version of Don Rickles. Because I, I was never privy to his <laughs> comedy uh, comedy club style. And even his clean version, he was pretty harsh. But I knew growing up, because I, mean, you know, I was introduced to it at a young age, I knew that he didn't actually mean the shit that he was saying. You know, and mm-hmm. I understood that comics, uh, you know, when they're doing a bit, it, it's exaggerated bullshit. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, there are times where they pause and do something serious. But, uh, oh, and Rodney Dangerfield, because Rodney Dangerfield was always talking about this, this, or this, or Phyllis Diller talking about Fang. There was no Fang. 
But there were people that actually got offended when she when she made fun of Fanny, you know, and it's like so maybe that's my problem too. You know, when when I saw that, I thought, you know what, Dave Chappelle, knowing his history, I know you got to take. I mean, I don't entirely agree with you know him doing something like that. Although you know, I think well, he was trying to get a shock comedy out there. Um, it's like Wait, okay, I'm gonna stop you for a second. But remember what the special was called though. As soon as oh, I saw no, that the special was called Sticks and Stones, I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I know where he's going now. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's like, I said, I know he's intentionally going to be out. I said, I, as soon as I saw the name of it, I went, this is the one where he goes and he pushes the envelope as hard as he possibly can to make a point. And uh, so going in, I already knew what was coming. And so, but, but the th- like, like, I, like I just said, I, I see, I try my best to stand back and to look at it as objectively as possible because I want to know where they're coming from. And a lot of times you have to listen to the whole routine because sometimes you'll be, as, as someone who writes stuff like this, well, yeah. not like that. I mean, my, my sense of humor doesn't go that far to the edge. But right. um, when you write bits, when well, you know it's going to be offensive in the beginning, you have to hope that the audience will wait long enough for you to get to the other part. Like if you do a character and the character is an offensive character, there's a reason that the character is offensive. It's just like when you watch a movie, the bad guy is going to be super bad in the beginning of the movie. So you're invested enough. So yeah. later on in the movie, when he gets his ass whipped, you're enjoying it. It's like when you watch the WWE, when Vince McMahon was the heel. He, right the week before the pay-per-view, to boost sales, he would do something like run the guy, almost run the guy over with a car or blow up his house, something stupid. So you can get some good, oh, get him, get Vince, kick his ass. Then yeah. when WrestleMania shows up and he gets his ass whipped, people are investing in it. So when I was watching his bits, the only thing I was thinking was, I know, I, I see what he, I, I knew where he was going a couple seconds in. And I'm going, okay, let's, I, I knew where he was going. Because like I said, I, I never grew up with any kind of prejudice, prejudice against gay people or, yeah. or trans people. I just don't have the negative feelings towards him. So Right. It can't come out of me. I never had a bad. I mean, I lived in L.A. I lived in Hollywood. I lived in San Francisco. Right. You know, I had friends that would, you know, there were transsexuals and, and homosexuals. And I never t- treated them any differently because I'd never thought of them as any different. Like, he's gay. I'm not. You know, this, this is somebody who's transgender. I'm not. But so yeah. what? I just deal with the human being. If I'm going to dish you, I'm going to dish you because you did something stupid. It's not going to be because, you know, well, you're a white be. guy and you're I'm a, yeah, I'm going to dish you because you did something stupid. And also because if I dish you because you did something stupid and keep your race and sex out of it, I can really hammer you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to jab you in the chin and say, well, since I'm going to keep I'm gonna keep the race and the sex out of it, I can really take this verbal baseball bat and crack you right in the knee with it because you can't say anything because I talk about what you did, not who you are. Yeah. And, you know, that's actually why I don't really care for Don Rickles' com- comedy club stuff um i mean he 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 starts uh because you know he's jewish he would start with the jews air quotes with the jews and then go down the list of every single race Mm -hmm. and and gender or combination and just so that you would know where he's starting off at he mocks himself and his culture and then he mocks everyone else and i i never really cared for that you know that type of stuff because i mean it's just like um it's like low-hanging fruit, and it doesn't take any effort to be at the low-hanging fruit. You know, although I do understand that 
Um, you know, it, with, with people like Don Rickles who would go after everyone, it was almost like setting everyone at, uh, at the same level of saying, you are all fuck-ups. Don't hold anyone else uh -huh. above anyone else. So I understand that mentality, and that mentality was very strong in the 60s. Um, but I, I don't – it doesn't appeal to me. And, well, the and thing so is, I agree with you totally. He got grandfathered in to be able to do it. Was like the people that came after him that tried it, you know, they got crushed. <laughs> you know, yeah, when you Don can. would do it, people would go, oh, it's Don. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I agree with the idea that comedy has to change for the society. And we're talking about when he would do that stuff and he would go after every single person. That was when you would have comics that would only go after one racial group or one uh, you know, like uh, lesbians or, or gays, you know, essentially. I, I've seen some vicious stand-up uh, that was televised that only went after one group, and I thought, you know what, that's bullshit. So I understand why back in the day uh, you would have Don Rickles, who was uh, in many ways, uh, I mean, he did do a few civil rights things, too. You know, he, he was actually, uh, you know, one of those people that believed that there should be equality out there. But, I mean when he would make a statement with his comedy, it would be going after everyone all at once. And I understand how that fit back well, then. Obviously, it doesn't fit now at all, you know. Yeah, well, the thing was also, you know, roast, when Don Rick was doing those roasts. Oh, yeah. Most of those people on the days, he knew these people personally. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Dean Martin roast, yeah. So if the, <laughs> yeah, if yeah. The, those are your friends. And you worked with him and partied with him. If I'm, I've actually done celebrity roasts. Yeah. Where I didn't, where I didn't know the person, and they walk up to me. Here's some attributes. Get them, you know. And I'm like, what, <laughs> you know? And I kept it cool, you know. But and I've also done roasts where uh, a celebrity roast where it was like a news anchor, but I yeah. knew her. Okay, I knew them personally, yeah, so that a, roast looked a little different. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, person was very smooth they all both went extremely well but the one where i knew them personally and you know because they go and our host for uh for the for the celebrity roast that's anthony thomas and she looked up she didn't know i was there she goes she started laughing because i looked at her i winked at her she's like he's gonna kill me and i'm like then she said she said it by the mic like an idiot she goes he's gonna kill me and of course it, it is she's gonna kill me and everybody started laughing i looked at her and i was like yeah you're getting it good <laughs> and so 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 that rose looked different than the one where the ones where I did it, where I didn't know, I don't know, you know, I don't know the mayoral mayoral candidate. I don't know. I'm in a city I don't live in. Yeah, we want you to stay around for one extra day on Sunday. Oh, no problem. If we want you to roast this uh, mayoral candidate, I'm like, I don't know. Is he is he the current mayor? Or, I mean, am I going to have like the police follow me out of town and beat my ass and or give me 55 tickets? Remember what you said about the mayor, you bastard. You know. So. Oh, God, <laughs> so Two things. That you're... Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, there are two things that you're saying. They just popped right in my head. Uh, one, the thing number one is the two different William Shatner roasts on the com on Comedy Central. The first one, they actually had people who mm -hmm. knew him. The second one, they didn't. The second one bombed. The first one was a success. That's because you of that relationship that you're talking about. And then... Dana Carvey's new stand-up thing on Netflix, he talks about how he roasted Bill Gates 
he thought it was a success. Turned out it really bombed. And because he didn't know Bill Gates personally, if you haven't seen that one, it is fantastic. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to interject those two things that popped in my mind the moment you said those. That I didn't even know he had a special on Netflix. I had to check that out. Yeah, uh, it's it's like a it's it's just a weird thing to see this, and and it's the same thing with these with what we're doing now, what you're doing on your podcast, and what I do on this podcast is essentially the podcasts sound different when you don't know the person. Like I know you. Yeah. The person before the person before the, the one the podcast you're following is a comic that I didn't know personally, but I, I have known of for years. He was a he's a he's a big time comic and he used to book the, the David Letterman show and oh, and wow. those kind of things. I didn't know him. So I didn't know I mean his name uh, uh, and I know you're listening, Eddie. I'm talking about you obviously. Uh so <laughs> so his name's Eddie Brill. So um great comic, great comic. So so I did, I didn't know him personally. Now when he comes back on the show, the, the the second time when he comes back again, it will be a different conversation because we had already talked for an hour. Right. Change. So it'll be a different. It'll be we'll have history there, and we actually talked a little bit before the show and after the show and that kind of thing. And uh, we follow each other on uh, social media. So, but now I know him. So the next time he comes back, it's different, you know, and so. It's just one of those things where when you see people that know the person, if they know the person, the person's really going to get it good because now, I mean, I know your wife's name is Cindy. I know your three kids. Your kids were at my house. I babysat your kids when you went on vacation. Da 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 da. We worked on the show, but da 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 da. I can hammer you really good. But, you know, but these guys, they don't know these people on this roast. They go, okay, uh, here's some stuff about Frank Johnson and uh, go. <laughs> it's like, you know, how are you going to insult somebody playfully? You're either going to be too soft or too hard on that person, unless you're a really good comedian. And um, that's why sometimes I watch those, those, those. Sometimes I watch the roast on TV, the newer ones, and I'm sitting there going, Ugh, "I know damn well you don't know that person. You'll need to be saying what you're saying." Yeah, I don't. I don't really like uh, the newer roasts. I mean, uh, I thought I thought that the Shatner roast where George Takei was on. I've seen clips of that. George Takei, uh, Nich- Nichelle Nichols, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that that was fun because I knew that they knew each other. Although George George still has uh, some hate for William Shatner, and that that I heard both sides of it, and I got a side with William Shatner on that, just because it seems that George, as much as I love George Takei, it seems that he has uh, really does have a raw nerve toward uh, his his relationship with William that goes beyond what anything he had ever done but it was still interesting seeing those two interact because it might be the last time that those two ever interact and mm-hmm. um you know William let Shatter me just do one quick uh, yeah let me just have let me just do one quick tribute to george decay oh my yeah. okay go ahead oh, yeah. <laughs> i mean i love i love george decay you know and I, I i follow him on twitter i i love i love all this stuff but you, you know, and if you follow him on Twitter, they do have completely different personalities in a way where I can totally see how those two personalities came in, uh, are really are in conflict with each other. I can see how William mm-hmm. Shatner is like, uh, dude, I don't care why you put it behind you. And George Takei is a very, I don't want to say uptight, uh, more like a proper personality. 
where he's like, well, mm-hmm. you you did this, and so I, I don't like it. And then uh, Walter Koenig uh, was on Raw Nerve, speak of Raw Nerves, with uh, William Shatner, and he discussed that sort of uh, relationship about how he had like an image of what William Shatner was doing, and they discussed how the, the two different, uh, how they uh, approached their craft differently. And William Shatner was of the idea of it's the actor's job to always go up and always try to get themselves a better position. But from his perspective, he believed that every single actor was doing that. And Walter Koenig, you know, Chekhov, uh, he and a lot of other actors, they weren't doing that. So it seemed like you, you have an overbearing person and a lot of passive people and there was no communication and they bump heads like that. And that that's yeah, kind that, of sad. Not, yeah, because I mean, cause when you think about, you know, it, sometimes you'll see a show like, a, what was that show with the, um, Bruce Willis and uh, Sybil Shepherd, Moonlighting? Oh, yeah, Moonlighting. And obviously those two could not stand each other. And, and because of that, a show that should have stayed on longer did not stay on longer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, it just, but just imagine the situation where you have to work with someone. It's bad enough. I mean, I've, I've worked nine to five jobs, right? Right. It's, it's bad enough working nine to five with somebody that sucks, in your opinion, when they're on the other side of the office or the other side of the warehouse and you have to run into them 15 times in a day, but yeah. your only interaction with them is like seven or eight minutes at a time. But then you have to sit there and work with somebody you can't stand yeah. for 15 hours and you got to stick your tongue down each other's throat every other scene or pretend like you yeah. want to. And you're going, hey, it's crazy. I mean, you know, I can't stand this person. But other than the action, you're the most beautiful girl in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're the greatest guy ever. Cut, you bastard, scumbag, you know, other person biting onions to teach you a lesson, you know. And so it's it's just it's just one of those weird things. That's another reason uh, doing uh like when you do podcasts is a little different because you really are picking and choosing either to do it yourself or yeah. you're picking and choosing who you want to work with and making sure that you're not even going to waste your time with someone that doesn't that you absolutely think blows, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I, I don't know. I mean, because like when you, when you, no, I wanted to know because you have a more incendiary podcast than I do, even my other one. Yeah. Your family and friends. Well, how you do know they react? They don't fucking know that I have it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, my oh. mom knows, but she doesn't really care. I mean, I don't talk about personal stuff, you know, and mm. here's uh, so, so there are a couple of things. I don't really talk about personal stuff uh, on my podcast at all. Uh, when I get too personal, mm. I might just delete the podcast episode. Um, although there is something semi-personal that I've been working on that I do that ties into a lot of things that I'm talking about on the podcast. Um the uh, the other thing is, a lot of the topics I talk about are topics that I talk about anyway with, you know, with people I know. You know, like mm-hmm. um, I just uh, there there is one podcast. Um, uh, in a couple of podcasts, I discuss uh, Mount Rushmore and the Black Hills. You know, the big mm-hmm. push to destroy Mount Rushmore by some of the friggin' psychos that are pro rioting. 
uh, or the uh, when Barack had the that one guy. Uh, uh, I can't even remember who he was. I, I'd have to look him up again. Um, do that study to determine what to do in order to compensate Native Americans uh, with their sacred land and everything. And a lot of people don't bother actually going into history or or, or examining it or anything. Like, th they're satisfied with knowing what we did to the Indians was wrong and bad. Like, yeah, okay. What a generalized statement that is. You know, lots of things are wrong and bad. And like in, like in the, I think I, I think it was in the last podcast episode, unless I deleted it, I went on about how fire hot, fire bad, right? You don't want to burn yourself. Water drown, because water wet. You know, you die. But if you actually examine fire and water, you come up with the with the concept of chemical compositions. And then you come up when you deal with the chemical compositions, you also come up with other things like uh, how to distill water, how to create air by boiling water with fire, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's not enough. And that's the same thing with history. It's not enough to just know what's bad and what's good. You have to actually understand. And in this podcast, I in, late, in one of the latest, most recent episodes, I specifically discuss the Blackfeet, which are a division of the Lakota, you know, the Sioux, mm -hmm. and their claim toward the Black Hills. They don't have a claim to the Black Hills. I'm sorry, one second. My kitten is playing with things. No, no, no. <laughs> um, sorry about that interruption. I think your, your cat, your cat was upset with the way you <laughs> <Yeah>. were going. <laughs> I, I she, she gets upset when she thinks that my my voice is upsetting. Um, so the thing is, the Lakota don't have, uh, you know, the the Blackfeet specifically don't have a claim to the Black Hills. It's the Cheyennes. The Cheyenne lost the Black Hills in 1776 to the Blackfeet. And that was after the French, in the French and Indian War, you know, the, what a lot of people don't know, because this is history, this comes from using your brain to investigate, the French and Indian War was the French bribing Indians to push the British off. And they bribed the Indians by selling them weapons. And a lot of the Indians said, we're going to take the weapons. Fuck you and your war, white man. They walked off to do their own fucking war. And it took about 20 years, but essentially through that trade, the Lakota, you know, the Blackfeet got a hold of the Indians through the French traders. And they went after the Cheyenne, which whom they've been warring with for centuries. They had control of the Black Hills for 70 years, from 1776 to like 1842 or something like that. That's when we moved in. And a lot of the anti-Native sentiment in this country is directly blamed. The blame is put directly onto the French and Indian War. Because the French encouraged some pretty horrific massacres onto the colonists. And so what happens is people like George Washington, who fought in that war as British soldiers, and among other generals who were also, you know, other Revolutionary War generals, they were 
they were on the receiving end of uh, not just a, a political war between France and Britain, but a race war from the native tribes onto them. Now, obviously, not all native tribes were going after the colonists. You know, anybody who's, uh, I haven't read it personally, but I mean, I've seen it. You know, anybody who's read or seen Last of the Mohicans, it's about the French and Indian War. And the Indian tribes, they are not united. These tribes have been warring and they have their own politics and they've had their own politics for centuries. And so, you know, I think I believe that the Iroquois, they were uh, on the colonist side. But the British didn't necessarily arm them in the same way that the French armed uh, the, their allied tribes. So a lot of that racism against the native tribes came out of that horrific war that it was nine years of massacres, of guerrilla tactics, of brutal, brutal warfare. And that's also where we learned our the guerrilla tactics that we used against the British during the Revolutionary War. So when you examine who does Mount Rushmore belong to, and you go back and you think, you know, we've actually owned Mount Rushmore longer than the Blackfeet, and apparently it's not the Blackfeet, it's the Cheyenne that need it. Then you start coming up with the whole idea of, okay, we've got a real problem with here because how do we handle reparations? How do we handle this actual situation, which has been compounded by a fucking idiotic report that didn't have any knowledge backing it, that's been regurgitated uh, through the progressive mindset because, oh, well, Barack commissioned it, and as much as I love Barack, I mean, I, I have an approval rating of him equal to his approval rating in office when he left office, 60-40. 60% of him I love, 40% of him I don't love, and that idiotic report, if you read through it and go through it, the, the report is, I, I, I don't, it, it's mind-boggling stupid is the only way to put it. And but it's set the ground isn't it just an interesting thing? The further you go back and the more intricate these things get, it just gets be it just becomes more and more confusing about who, what, when, where, and why. You know, we don't even know what we don't even know how to handle things that happened twenty years ago. You haven't even figured out how to handle things that happened from the sixties. And that's you know, or or from the fifties. We haven't figured out how to handle those things. We don't know how to handle things that happened last week. Oh God, not especially no, not last week. Last week has been terrible. You know, but so I mean, it's just. A... And I mean, you hit the nail on the head, and uh, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go on, uh, but you hit the mm-hmm. nail on the head exactly, and um, that that's part of what my podcast is also about is like trying to say, listen, you guys cannot simplify things like you're simplifying you need to actually come up with a real proposal where you examine everything and the you know in regards to politics and society and there's one thing that was done that we can undo but the democratic party and progressives need to get on board with this you know i'm sorry to be preaching a little bit right here but congress Uh, There was an act of Congress. I don't know if it was before or after the Civil War. I can't remember. It was right in the middle of of relocating to all the reservations. Uh, Congress said that they realized that there was a problem 
with dealing with the tribes because when they dealt with one tribe individually, the other tribes would attack that tribe um, and claim that they're getting special treatment. And that so sounds Congress, familiar to you. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Congress passed, uh, it was an act or resolution stating that no longer would the United States government deal with one single tribe, that all the tribes had to unify in order to make a petition on how to receive any form of reparation. So it literally will take an act of Congress for us to do anything to help any tribes at this point. But the problem is this, this act is a double-edged sword because a lot of the people that pushed it through were people that didn't want to help any of the tribes at all. And so they included tribes that were and currently remain at war or at odds with each other to such a degree that one tribe would rather see it themselves fail in order to harm the other tribe than to work together. And Jeez, that does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. Yeah. And so the only way I think that there is any way you know, to, to fix any of this, especially one, we cannot give the Black Hills to anyone. We give them to the Cheyenne, the, the Blackfeet that are currently occupying it are going to flip a wig. In a sense, rightfully so. We give it to the, to the Blackfeet, and it's like the Cheyenne will say, what the fuck, that's actually our sacred land with our sacred dead. So you can't do any of that unless you do something where you bring the tribes in on administrative levels to work directly in and with the government. The, the heads of these tribes. And that's like the only way that it, it's going to work, as far as I can see. And something needs to be done specifically about that congressional resolution. Either, you know, somebody has to do something soon, too, because the uh, Keystone, uh, you know, XL or whatever it is, I was going right through the Sioux in South Dakota. The Sioux, I believe it's the Sioux lands in South Dakota. That's also part of the whole reparations deal. And I don't know. I'm sorry. I derailed this podcast for so long, but that's basically where I've been at in my podcast for the last couple of episodes, where I'm just trying to hammer into people's minds and that you cannot be black and white in terms of your ideology and how you think things should go. You can't just say, oh, that's wrong. And leave it at that. You have to inspect what is wrong about it so you understand how to deal well, with it. Well, the thing is, when you have people that have that have the actual power, it behooves them to make people beneath them in their minds argue as much as possible because then they can literally stand back and say, hey, I tried to help. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, it's like if you have... I'll put it this way. If you if uh, if you have two kids that you know are never going to agree on something, and I'm not I'm not uh, obviously I'm not I'm using this this as a comparison. Obviously, I'm not calling these people children. But when you say for the sake of argument, you have two kids, one likes one thing and one likes another thing, and you don't feel like dealing with them, you go listen. When you two can agree on what to have for dessert, that's when we'll go. But until you guys agree, we're not going. First of all. You didn't want to put their little butts in the car and drive to the damn Dairy Queen anyway. You're tired, right. but you know they're never going to agree. So what's not on you, it's on them. You right. see that happening right now. You have these people that are sitting there basically 
convincing 38% of the country, <laughs> you know, that people are going to take their jobs or that people are coming to get them or that the scary person is going to come and all of that kind of crap. Right. But the thing is, people that look like each other kill each other. People that live near each other kill each other. No one's going into somebody, for the most part, going into somebody else's neighborhood and taking anything. No one's going to take your job. No one's going to, but people, if they make people believe these weird things, they're always going to be fighting amongst, amongst each other. And while you guys are fighting, they're sitting there sucking money out of your bank accounts and taking money from everything and carving up everything. They're gentrifying this neighborhood. They're, they're yeah. eminent. They're using eminent domain over that neighborhood. You think you, you think your house is safe and you think you own the house. You talk about how these Native Americans didn't have a claim on the land. You don't have a claim on your house when you live in it. Yeah. If they decide they want to put a uh, down down there, if they decide that you're not, they don't really pay enough uh, enough uh, property taxes. But if I put a damn mall on top of that, I'll get more money. If I put a hospital there, I'll get more money. If I put a toll road there, I know they bought the house. I don't care. I know he spent one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the house. Doesn't matter. I'm going to buy the house back from him for seventy grand, and that's all he's getting. He's going to have to get the hell out, you know. And so you see that all the time, and it just keeps repeating itself in slightly different ways throughout history. Right. It's slightly different, but it's really the same thing. It's the same thing when you have, you know, it's like if you're a kid, and you're like, yeah, uh, I'm going to need that for an office, so you're going to have to move into the room with your brother. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like when the person has the power, they're going to use that power to do what they want to do because they know you can't do anything about it. Exactly. And, you know, the thing is, power is not just end all with the president. It's also at the local and the state levels, you know, local, state, regional levels. And uh, the thing that I'm working with right now, trying to fix a pretty horrific uh, series of broken laws in Colorado, um, a lot of it fails because there is no guarantee at the local level, that the local level has to obey the state. And it's actually pissed off the, the, uh, the state Supreme Court uh, in, here in Colorado. And so, you know, people have got to understand that power is not just uh, protesting or, you know, making your voice heard as far as voting. You also have to work your ass off in order to read the laws, understand the laws, understand how different mentalities are going to communicate with each other. And you have to navigate that minefield. And, you know, I've come under fire, but I've also been supported back and forth for quoting the, the Martin Luther King Uh, junior speech where he talks about he goes into detail about riots and hearing your voice and then making people sit down and listen and um i think bernice king his his daughter uh, has said it a lot more eloquently than i've ever said it but basically he was saying obviously violent riots are going to happen if you're really oppressive but riots don't actually help anything you know, they give a weapon to the oppressor to continue to justify the oppression, which puts you in a really bad place, you know, when you're trying to make a change. 
because you have to be as as calm minded as possible and i know it's almost impossible to be in that place when when you're uh, dealing with constant um crap on you all the time or or crap crap where you have to worry about a cop shooting you but one of the amazing things that he did was when he was talking about peaceful protesting what he meant was he was the immobile object he said my rights are here and you can't take them away but you're taking them away i'm going to explain what will happen you know essentially if you keep trying to do this blah 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 you know he managed to navigate that in the minefield like nobody else and i don't know it's just it's just a level of of difficulty in trying to get people everybody on the same page while reducing things you know uh any sort of minimizing any sort of loss and minimizing backlash and now at this point we've got a whole bunch of riots going on they're even worse uh, i'm still not convinced there would have been no riots if hillary was president i know that there would have been but i don't i know for a fact she wouldn't have made them as bad as trump did i mean trump went out there to exasper exacerbate them because he knew how to divide and conquer and that's because it, it's easy for a man who thinks nothing but hate to play people off each other to 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 make to get feed into people's anger and say you have to destroy this and then you know the just the kind of subtlety the way the you know as, as verbose as he is he's got that subtle racism to him because he's been doing that for years, the way he cut, um, uh, you, you, the way he kicked people out of their homes in New York, the way he fucked over anybody who wasn't white, who who was renting on his land. He does know how to manipulate the law. And the only way to fight someone like that is to use the law, to do it at the local, at the state, at the regional levels, to get the right judges in, to know who the fuck is in your community, and to get the people you want in power at every level and uh he managed to exacerbate it even more with his little stunts with the national guards and the uh mercenary troops that he, he deputized as police who didn't have to wear name tags and shit like that so i don't know i'm, I'm maybe i derailed it too much here I, I can't even remember what point i'm making i guess the general point is you know you've you got to know that the people who are oppressing aren't just oppressing the people they're really coming down on, but they're also oppressing the people one step, I guess you could say, on on one rung higher on the so-called racism ladder, right? Because they can always say, I can make your life worse by moving you one rung down. And people have got to realize they cannot be played like that. You cannot be played like that. You got to work together. You got to focus on what you can change. And you gotta you gotta also realize the elites are one percent of the fucking population here. We are way more than one percent of the population as a collective whole of Americans who believe in rights for everyone. We shouldn't be letting the minority of of elite oppressive pieces of crap dictating our laws or how we should live or how we should talk to each other. I don't know. I'm just ranting. I'm sorry. 
Well, the thing is, you got to get to the situation where you realize that they, they are going to basically... It's like the COINTEL program in the 60s, yeah. you know, when they, they had the groups fighting each other with the... And it, like I said, it's always the same thing. If you think about it, what is Black Friday? Right? What do they make people do on Black Friday? I mean, if it was me and I ran a store and I had 500 people sitting in my parking lot getting into fist fights by coming into my store, that would only happen one time. Right. You know, exactly. I would never want that to happen again. It would never happen again. I would go, you know what? I got to change everything because I can't have my customers beating each other's asses in the parking lot and stomping over each other to try to get into the place. I can't have that. Because if you think about it, this if you, especially after when the when the internet became what it is now, you could basically just go look. Uh, the first five hundred people online are going to get the stuff. Here's your code number. You're still going to same the same sell the same amount of products. Now you may not get the impulse buy when they're in there, but I, I would you know I don't want people knocking. Each, they do it on the news all the time. Look at all of these people. Standing outside of uh, whatever the store is because they were, I got the last fly, 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 fly. Yeah, but you stepped uh-huh. on some dude's neck to get the damn thing, you know. And and I don't want and, and you you when you get people in this in this kind of situations, you can basically bring out the worst in them because they get into the mob mentality and they start to attack uh, the door. Like when you open the door and everybody rushes in to get the bridal gowns. I mean. What the hell is that? Yeah. And that's just somebody getting something from a store. Well, what about you tell somebody, listen, um, those people over there, um, they're going to do something that's going to make you loot your house wor- uh, cost le- uh, worth less. Yeah. You know? And uh, they're also going to do something to the this, and they're going to do something to that, and this one's going to take your job. I'm not saying anything. All I'm saying is, if it was me, and I knew that guy was going to take my job. I would do something. I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just saying that I wouldn't allow that to happen because I love my family. And then, you, and then they're over there fighting, and you're sitting back on what a bunch of dopes. <laughs> they don't realize I'm going to take their house in six years. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, and so you just sit there watching. And and I, as as someone who's looking at the whole situation, when you're dealing with people that think in terms of decades. And you're thinking in terms of right now. They don't want you thinking long term, because if you think long term, you'll begin to strategize long term. If you're yeah. trying to figure out how to survive right now, you can't think like a CEO because the CEO can look at the big picture. The person who's on the assembly line has to concentrate on the widget that's coming by because if they lose their concentration, they could also lose a finger. So they're not thinking about the bottom line of the business. They're not thinking about stock options. They're not thinking right. about acquiring land. They're thinking about this widget's coming by and I got to have my hands in the right place because if I mess up, they're going to slow down. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get written up. And that's how most people are living. You're concentrating because you have to. You're concentrating on the widget that's coming by on the conveyor belt right in front of you because that's how you get the money to live in your house. The person who owns the business is going, I can squeeze some more midgets, some more widgets out of these dudes. Yeah. Yep. I know it's bad for that. I know I know that it's too hot there. A couple of them are going to pass out. Maybe two of them will sue me, but they're only going to get 500 grand. But by the time they get that 500 grand, I will have made 47 million. I think it's worth it. Bam. Yeah. And that's the world we're living in right now. <laughs> that's what we're living with yeah. right now. Yeah, it's depressing. But you know what? You got to you gotta change. You know, not you. You know, just 
uh, people have got to figure out how to make changes and they've got to make changes in ways that that's just not seen you know by other by uh you know the uh, people who'd like to think of themselves as manipulators and you know here's the other thing you can get, there are in, in, in trying to fix the law here in Colorado, I've discovered that a lot of Republicans, it's in how you phrase what's going on, a lot of Republicans, a lot of Democrats think about the same things uh, when they're elected officials. Yeah, sure, there are big uh, ticket issues on their platforms for the parties where they have ideological divides, but... 90 to 98 percent of the time you have bipartisan uh you have bipartisan cooperation and a lot of laws if if you think something's broken and you frame it in a way that you know somebody who's your ideological opposite can understand and can appreciate you can get a lot of help and i've gotten a lot of help from people who are my total ideological opposite. I mean, I'm talking about diehard uh, Republican. I believe that Barack was a Muslim type of thing. Like, I, you don't talk about that. I don't talk about that. You know, I like wrong conversation to have with me, right? I talk about the thing of, uh, you know what? This is happening here. This law can actually hurt you because I can do this to you. And then they immediately say, oh, wow, that's broken. Said, yeah, I don't like it. You don't like it. We both agree that there needs to be a law here that deals with this issue, but clearly this is where it fails. And they're immediately on board. And I know it's hard to get through a conversation, or some people find it, some people really do find it physically revolting to speak to somebody who is opposite issue because maybe they supported something that was really damaging to them in their lives. And I totally, totally get that. Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't believe that I've ever been that misfortunate, but I know that a lot of people have. But I'm telling you, there is, there are forms of communication there. And you, what but is the whole? What, I'm sorry. I'm go sorry. Ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. No, no. I was just. The only what I wanted to know is because I, I've never actually been to Colorado. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I'm in New Jersey or Philadelphia right. or New York. I mean, I know these areas because that's where I'm from. But when you th- when you're talking about you know, when I think when you think about places where things are really effed up, the rest of the country, from what I've seen and from the people that I know, they never bring up Colorado. As well, a place where they get, they you know, they always think of down south or New York, but they never yeah. go. Colorado has problems. They only only think about is mountains and people ride bikes and everybody's skinny. <laughs> well, believe it you or know, not, that's what they think of. When they yeah. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Um, believe it or not, this only just recently happened within the last five years, and a lot of people don't realize how fucked up this situation is because a lot of people don't understand what civil background checks are. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that there are 
uh, laws that the red flag laws are based on. And those are laws that protect um, landlords, they protect crediting agencies, they protect anyone searching for money. Um, and they're also uh, like emergency protection orders for people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All things which are really good to have when you're considering um, uh, protecting someone from violent retaliation, like repo men or whatever, they repossess a car. If somebody threatens to blow their brains out, they have to get immediate help from the police, right? That's good. Uh, Colorado had recently went through um, a repeal and replace of laws that suppress false accusations for criminal accusations. And they were advised by a task force that I believe was run by Amy Larson. I spoke to her for about five minutes and I was supposed to speak to her again. Could never get in touch with her because she's too busy. She's one of those people who's so busy that they don't have time to do the work that they're assigned to. She's part of a numerous committees and projects. I don't, I'm not attacking her or anything, but um, I'm just stating a fact that she seems to be so busy that some recommendations that she made weren't entirely researched. Um, she's a very nice person, though. Very nice woman. But I had to do all this legal research that she found out, oh, I didn't know that. So that tells you there's something hmm. wrong already because the recommendations she made to the legislature, they came from her. So she recommended so we, we that. Talk, we, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to ask another. Go ahead. Go, go, go. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me try to make this as quickly as I can. Um, so uh, basically, the recommendations were to repeal and replace these things that dealt with all forms of criminal accusations, investigations, accusations, arrests, and false prosecution. And they were turned just into false prosecution and arrests. Uh, because apparently she believed that there were other mechanisms in place that dealt with all the other things. There weren't. So what wound up happening is, with, like, if you're a creditor and somebody threatens you on the phone, you can file a criminal accusation of domestic violence or telecommunications violence, threats to your life in civil court in order to get an immediate injunction to go after the person's uh, finances. And that could be done without the person on the other end of the phone having actually threatened the telecommunications person and without them actually knowing that it's on their civil check and then waking up the next morning with garnishment on their wages in, as an emergency order Whoa. due to a judge. Same thing yeah, with uh, landlords kicking people out. Oh, man. That's what I wanted to get to. Go ahead. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you next. Yeah. And so what happens is even if you go to court and prove that it was false, it's on your civil check as a criminal complaint. And the criminal complaint, a lot of background check agencies, they will do background checks for criminal complaints, not background checks based off of which courts in criminal or civil. So you, if you were so innocent that you weren't arrested, it's permanent on your record. If you were guilty enough to be arrested, you could actually get it sealed through uh, 24 17 uh, no, 24-72-7, um, 
100 at sequitur, you can get it, it and any uh, other uh, public records expunged, including civil court records. But uh, another trick is if you want to evict somebody, let's say you're a landlord, uh, I can go and I could say, listen, uh, Sir Anthony Thomas, I call you Sir Anthony, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> S. Anthony Thomas threatened me with a gun when I went to collect the rent. I want his ass out now. I don't want to wait 30 days because I fear for my life. Judge will pass it. You will be kicked out. It's an emergency protection order. You cannot appeal to the court for three weeks. A uh, hearing is set within two to three weeks. You have to get a hold of all of the police reports, if there are any, and any uh, 911 tapes. That actually takes anywhere from three weeks to six weeks, if you're lucky. So the process for going to court is faster than you can get the evidence. If you Before you get the evidence, you can't go back to your house. You are evicted, period. Um, your property is there, too. Uh, you might be able to have a half an hour scheduled with a sheriff in order to take your property out, but that's, uh, that's luck of the draw there. Um, before the evidentiary hearing is processed, so let's say you got a continuance, then you go to an evidentiary hearing. Before it's processed, the landlord can say, I dropped my complaint. Uh, but, you know, so he lied saying that you were arrested or it was me, I don't know, who, whoever made the complaint, lied, said that you were arrested, said that you flashed a gun in his face. Judge has no obligation to double-check on that, and it will go on your record, assault with a deadly weapon, on your civil record, and there's no way you can get rid of it. That, that is a problem in many ways. The first way is, obviously, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that could literally damage your life permanently, and also, if you're the kind of person that's actually someone who go, well, you didn't ruin my life, so it doesn't really matter what I do now. They yeah. might actually show up with a gun for real. Oh, and get this. Um, these emergency uh, or these red flag laws, uh, the last study that was carried out was done in like 2002, and they discovered that they actually increased gun violence on the people that have filed for protection. So they're not actually doing what people think they're doing, at least not in the civil court. Now, in the criminal court, the criminal orders of protection, they require that you have proof before you walk into that courtroom. It's almost always a result of the police and prosecutors applying for it on your behalf as the, as the uh, person who threatened or has been actually arrested, uh, is sitting in the courtroom. Those do tend to be effective. The civil ones, no. And it's nobody wants to touch them because they think that, the, you know, because these victims' first laws protect, you know, they think of them as protecting women. Okay, well, they can if there is something to clean up after it. Like, I'm not against these laws. I'm against the fact that there is no cleanup after to handle a false or dropped mm -hmm. accusation. That is a big problem. Like, if, if I could, or anybody, you know, I think they could deal with an inconvenience of three weeks uh, if, if it's one of those situations where it's filed against you then dropped, 
That would be like an inconvenience for three weeks, a really shitty inconvenience for three weeks, but then it's like gone. If that's the case, okay, it will probably will save lives at some point. But uh, the only state that I know of that actually has a cleanup afterwards is California. And it resulted from a 2009 case where a guy had to have himself physically arrested. He had to get the prosecutor to agree to arrest him, to drop the case in court and say, I want to expunge this. And then he took that expungement order and applied it to the civil case, which had no proof against him. And so... That's something that you can technically do here in Colorado, but apparently uh, you got to find the right law firm because these law firms won't even try it because they're afraid that they'll get disbarred if they try it. And a lot of prosecutors say, I, I'll get disbarred if I bring it to court. You know, so that's another fear. These lawyers don't want to touch it because they're afraid that they can't win and they might get disbarred for trying something in court knowing that the system has failed and has a huge hole in it. So um, it looks like I managed to get... Yeah. It looks like I got some change done. Uh, I know that when I talked to Senator Pete Lee, he argued with me for about five minutes telling me, when you're in civil court, it's not public unless the judge finds guilt. And I argued with him saying, no, that's not how it happens. The judge doesn't have to find guilt. The moment you file the paper, it is public. And so after he found that out, he has then thusly been in contact with me back and forth. And I fed him all of the information I could. I, I mailed all the legislators. I'm like the only fucking person. Well, mom has been helping me. I'm like the only fucking person that's actually been calling everyone. Uh, publicly mocked for trying to get something cha some changed by um, Randy Pitchford, of all people, uh, you know, owner of Gearbox, and this fucking little prick uh, who runs this game developer con uh, conference in Europe, telling me that the one person can't make a change at all. Well, I've already made a fucking change. It would be nice if I got more people. You know what I mean? But the idea is not is that it's not just Colorado. Every state has these emergency laws in effect for civil court. Every fucking one. And some states have fixes for them. Well, I'm not going to investigate every goddamn state, so I just put up a petition about Colorado. But I said, listen, if your state has it, you know, communicate. Let's get together. I actually have a few people that have, you know, I think there are like 156 people at signed my petition but it's not really that they signed it it's that they signed it saying yes we have actually gotten involved they've either written letters or written emails or called their people and said listen you need to make sure this isn't happening here um but uh so when i talk about peaceful protest and fixing the system i talk about the boring shit nobody wants to fucking do you know about looking at the laws looking where it fails and this particular series of laws these legislators did not do it on purpose. That's the other point. A lot of bad laws are not done on purpose. I think it was Amy Larson. I'm pretty sure it was because she was head of the task force that I called. Maybe it was a different person and she was handed the reins after the other person left. Um, but either way, whoever made the recommendations failed, not because they're vindictive, but because... Maybe they were too busy. They didn't go over the, all the laws. It took me 
eight months to go over all these laws before I finally figured out everything and connected all the dots. It was like an investigation. It's a pain in the fucking ass. And unfortunately, that's what real effective change looks like. Boring ass shit. It's like, you know, the movie um, Aaron Brockovich. You see Aaron Brockovich? Uh, didn't see the movie, but I'm familiar with the story. Okay. Yeah. She spent years pouring over uh, papers, over memos, over shit in order to save people's lives from contamination. Years! Because nobody else would fucking do it. And unfortunately, that's what effective change is half the time. It's boring work. Nobody wants to do, but you got to get involved if you think that you want to do something. I'm not saying protesting is ineffectual. Protesting is great for getting, highlighting, putting a spotlight on the issue. But then you got to go through the issue. You got to see how can we fix it where people can't deny the fix. You know, and, and that's what Martin Luther King Jr. did when he sat down negotiating with people. I mean, I saw so many interviews of him as my teacher's pummeled that shit into my mind um I, i'm thankful i had the teachers i did uh they pummeled that into the mind of what civil rights was uh interviews with with robert moses um martin luther king jr uh you know malcolm x not so much malcolm x but you know because he didn't really do that sort of thing uh and other nego other things like how lbj confronted people in congress to get the civil rights act and voting rights act passed and I tell you, that's the big accomplishment that the major civil rights people did was sitting down at the table with people who didn't want to give them any power and saying, okay, well, I figured out there's something you can't stop. And this is something we're going to be changing. You should be working with us on this. How about that? You know, it's, it's almost like, uh, I mean, it's it's a real type of, power play where you're using the law that's broken or screwed up and you explain to them how it will affect them negatively and that and oftentimes that's what you need to do you need to tell people this will affect you even worse down the line if you don't fix it now even if you're a racist piece of shit you need to understand we can use this to fuck you over too um of course some people uh, like uh, Stephen Colbert's father. Stephen Colbert did a thing on his dad. His father was part of one of the major negotiations that I was it in Memphis. Maybe I'm misremembering it, but if you can find it, where Stephen Colbert talks about his dad, his dad was was a, like a, a civil essentially like a civil rights minded guy. He needed somebody else to come to the table to him in order to try and press through a proper change to the law. You know, so there are people like that too. You know, like Pete Lee, or um, you know, he he he. When he argued with me, he honestly believed because th that the the law the laws did not have holes in them. I had to explain it to him, and once I spoon fed it to him, he was like, "Okay, even though you're not my constituent, I will try and get something looked at." And then, of course, I talked to everyone else, and I managed to get several people responding to me in a positive way. 
I believe they are going to continue to try and fix the laws that they fucked up. But at the same time, you don't just stop with one person. You don't just stop with one section of the government. You go to everyone. And that's what I did. And I'm still trying to go to everyone. And so I don't know how things are going to end up. But uh, uh, I dominated that conversation for 20 minutes. I'm sorry about that, sir. You know, you do realize that's what you're here for. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just an interesting thing. I just didn't, you know, every area of the country has, you know, its own bleep ups and, and, and things that are just where you damage, where they damage their constituents. And it absolutely blows that you have to fight this hard just to get back to zero. You know, just to get to the point where people treat you fairly, you have to go yeah. to these blood, these, these, these bloody, metaphorically speaking, these bloody battles. And, you know, it, it would just be so, if you could just get up, walk out your house, be treated fairly, live your life, and come home, you know, and it would be really easy to do because when people decide they want to, you know, when they want something to happen, because it's not, when you think about the government, it's not about the mechanisms, it's about the motivation all the tools they need to help people or to do the right things already exist, but you just have to put people there that have the motivation to use the tools properly. You know, say if you put a, if you put a yeah. screwdriver in my hand, I'm going to fix the door. You put the screwdriver in the hand of a psychopath, he's going to stab you in the leg with it. You know, yeah. so it's not the tool for the most part, it's the people who have access to the tools. And yeah. once again, if they keep everybody fighting with each other, what do they do? You know, they sit back while everybody's fighting as they sit back and have all the all the time they need to figure out how to screw people over. And, and everybody's so busy fighting with each other that they allow it to happen. And when you try to tell them, they think that, you know, they think that you're lying. And you go, oh, yeah. God, what am I going to do? I'm trying to help you out here. Yeah, I know. And you know what? The thing is, the repeal and replace of these laws that have been going on, which created this problem, it actually made it so that if you were arrested, you had more rights than someone who was accused but not arrested, which is really fucked. Uh, but the legislature was actually trying to simplify the Colorado Code. Instead, what they did was they cut too much out of it when they when they thought they were simplifying it. And in addition to that, um, they they actually violated a Supreme Court ruling. Um, I don't want to go into it, but there was a Supreme Court ruling in 1958 that uh, these laws wound up violating. It also wound up violating a few other privacy laws. And then these privacy laws is like, at this point, there's so many written, you sh you could probably simplify it even more, which is what my petition's about, um, an Innocence Act, you know, where it's very, very simple of, if nothing has been found, if it was dropped, if it was this, this, and this, then it just needs to be automatic in order to clear the court system. And it resembles so, the California method, actually. So if anybody was going to help out with this, how would they do that? Well, I do have a petition uh, on the thing. It's change.org forward slash Innocence Act. Now, if you want to help, uh, keep in mind that if you don't care about Colorado, that's okay. You should also look into your own laws in your own state and make sure this shit isn't going on in there, too. Because a lot of these laws, a lot of a lot of people are getting are, are changing laws based off of national um, legal databases that say this law works in this state, 
And they don't understand that some states have mechanisms that handle uh, a fucked up uh, situation, you know, like someone making an accusation and dropping it. Like California, uh, they make an accusation, they drop it. Okay, they can actually expunge it from civil court. Colorado, they can't. So it's like they took the law for, that was pre-written and they put it in Colorado without that resembled the California law without realizing California also had a means to deal with it afterwards. So once again, not all legislators are out to fuck you over. <laughs> they just may not know that they're fucking you over. You know, they may be told the exact opposite. So what you got to do is you really have to look at what's going on uh, in general. And, but that's why I put that template on for a suggested change for every state. And the suggested change is very simplified. Um, in fact, sometimes it's a little bit redundant just to make sure that things are followed properly in each process because some states don't recognize um, a legal function unless it's repeated multiple times for every specific section. So I was a little bit redundant to repeat it in every specific section. Uh, and the whole idea with that is to convince the legislators, listen, you should pass this law that if the person has not been proven guilty, if there is no action, if they've been investigated by a third party, you know, disinterested party, um, or maybe two, and it proved that there was nothing illicit there, that it didn't meet the bar to be in civil court, that didn't meet the bar to be in criminal court, that it should just go away you know, then it should actually be expunged. And what a lot of people don't understand is that when it's expunged, it doesn't prevent judges or prosecutors or law enforcement from looking at an expunged accusation. What it does is it prevents John Q. Public from looking at it. Now, yeah. law enforcement, they probably should look at an expunged accusation because, well, let's say you had multiple things and all of a sudden it's starting to add up. Okay, then they can go back in and say, okay, we actually have a track record here. We're no longer going to let this asshole get ex expunged the things, right? But if it's like the person has never done anything bad in their life, never will, and it turns out this is a bullshit accusation by someone who tried to get them fired. By the way, these this this hole in this law, Colorado law, can actually get somebody get fi uh, fired without the, even if the boss wants to keep them employed. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, the idea is basically just, you know, um, signing the petition is great. Sharing it is great. Call your legislator. Look at your own laws. And it's something like the revised statutes. Your laws are almost always in a packet called revised statutes, like Colorado revised statutes. I believe California's is called the California Revised Statute, so the, it's something like that. Some states have a little bit different naming order, but all the laws are there. And um, specifically looking at how you can bring criminal complaints into civil court, you could even go down to your courthouse and ask, now is there, if I if somebody threatens me and I'm a landlord, what, what laws do I use? Someone will get you started by saying, okay, well, it's this law and this, this thing. You look at that law, and and that filing paper and then you could track it and i'm and i welcome anybody to share their information post on the change.org website saying i found this for california these are the laws to look at that's also awesome because it okay. shares things with people make sense yeah yes give the change.org address one more time 
It's change.org forward slash innocence act. Innocence and in general, okay. it's a uh, plug your. I'm sorry. Okay. Forward slash innocence act. Okay. Yeah. Change.org forward slash innocence act. Okay. Yeah. Now plug your podcast because we're coming to the very, very end of this episode. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's what the fuck is wrong with you people? And uh, I try to uh, just, you know, make people hate me as much as possible. I think the most hated <laughs> podcasts are are the podcasts where I try out my wonderful comedy. Because, you know, the, it's not that the jokes are funny for you to laugh at. It's that I'm laughing at you for listening to the jokes. Okay. Now, give the address. Because I know that a lot of our podcasts, because I know oh. the podcasts are put on or put on a lot of different because like they can look up the podcasts uh and i know that they're they're obviously on a lot of things spotify itunes and things of that nature but the home for your podcast is oh yeah anchor fm um you know what i don't actually know <laughs> it's okay i will put okay everybody if you're listening um i'm gonna put the podcast his podcast link in the notes oh, so I got it. if when you're listening to this Scroll down in the notes, and I will have his, uh, I will have his podcast address, and then oh, obviously it. when you click on the podcast address, you can, you, you got it. Yeah, it's it's anchor f, uh, dot fm forward slash Kevin hyphen Connor, and apparently I'm on every single platform that there is out there. I, I don't know why they. Yeah, that's that. one of the good things. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you people putting me on your platform? That's what I should title one of my podcasts. Don't you know I, I I've got shit. <laughs> Shit numbers. Nobody listens to me. <laughs> well, that might be changing, my friend. You never know. It's just like anything else. You start out, before you hang off, and then it just very picks up, slowly picks up. Now, the, before you hang up, before you hang up, I need to ask you two things. One is, which one of my episodes do you hate the most, and which one of my episodes do you hate the least? Uh, the most, see, see, now you're putting me on the spot because I don't know the titles. Um, just hmm. tell me what I talked about. Ah, uh, geez. I mean, I, I don't mind the, the, the jokey ones. I just, I just, you know, I just, I just like I, what we did to, when you do what we did here. Yeah. You know, like when you talk about the laws and changing the laws, those are the, those are the things that I enjoy the most because all of mine are. The ninety nine percent of ninety nine point nine percent of mine are jokes, so sometimes I'll go to things that yeah. are the exact opposite of what I'm doing at the time. So my jokes are that's horrible. the best way I can put it. I don't hate them. You should. <laughs> you should hate them. You know, They're bad. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I changed my mind. Yeah, you stink. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at those jokes. <laughs> all right my friend i want to thank you for coming on we'll do it again my brother okay take care thank you thank you for putting up with all this stuff i had fun uh my, me too my friend well we'll talk we'll, obviously we'll be we'll continue to harass each other online though but i uh, will definitely take care my friend you too bye okay take care bye-bye enjoy that i did kevin did and i'm pretty sure you did too we had some fun and we learned some things that's always the best way to go to have fun and to learn some things and you know what i learned 
I have the coolest audience in the world. <laughs> yes, I'm sucking up to you people. Just give me a break, okay? All this love feels great. <laughs> Much love to you all, and thank you for everything that you do. See you again next time. Bye.